Welcome to the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer for Dutch. In this season of the Dutch Podcast, you'll hear from some of the brightest minds in integrative healthcare as we share new perspectives on hormones and challenge a few common misconceptions you might have heard in some circles. We'll bring you cutting-edge education ranging from beginner level to advanced, along with the validated research to back it up. Be prepared to think differently and deepen your understanding of how functional hormone testing can profoundly change the lives of patients. This week on the Dutch Podcast, we are continuing with part two of our fascinating conversation about PCOS with the practitioner, Dr. Felice Gersh, MD. Now, Dr. Gersh talked last week with us about physiology and what happens for females with PCOS. Make sure you check out that episode if you haven't listened already. In this week's episode, we're getting into the things I know you really want to hear about, which is what to do about it. Which we now know melatonin is key to fertility and cycling properly and has receptors on the ovaries and is a master antioxidant and so on. So if you don't get adequate amounts of sleep in a very dark room, you're going to not have enough melatonin, your circadian rhythm is off. We talk all about lifestyle and treatment options for females with PCOS, including things like stress reduction, diet options. Well, it's amazing. Once you step away from eating processed food and you really eat real food, especially if you can go to a farmer's market and you get like right off the vine types of foods and fruits and vegetables, you know, just freshly picked. The flavors are so amazing. Even fasting windows and things like that, that might help you out. So be sure to listen all the way through. You get so many fantastic, juicy tips. Let's go ahead and get started with Dr. Gersh. So just to mention, like some of the other contributing factors that have exacerbated and created this worldwide epidemic. Um, and it is, like you mentioned, it's the leading cause of infertility among women, um, is the diet. So we now have data, it came out originally around 2015 out of research from China, which has, oh my gosh, a lot of PCOS in China. And what they showed, and this has been replicated in several other studies since then, is that the gut microbiome is dysbiotic or abnormal in women with PCOS. And this is a very significant thing because now we understand the gut microbiome is like another organ. It's like critical to every facet of health in every single person. And they have the wrong microbes living in there. Now, some of this is due to their hormonal imbalance. We know that this happens to women as they transition into menopause. Their gut microbiome shifts into an abnormal you know, array of microbes and, and so forth. So that is definitely a contributor, the, the hormonal imbalance. But diet is a huge exacerbator. So this, you know, the so-called standard American diet, which is filled with processed foods and chemicals and devoid in adequate nutrients, the micronutrients and the, even the macronutrients can like healthy fats and often are often not part of the diet. You know, often it's a very uh, imbalanced fat intake. So the diet, in fact, they've actually shown that eating a very high fat, high sugar diet in and of itself will give you impaired gut barrier, like leaky gut and dysbiotic gut microbiome, and also circadian rhythm dysfunction just from the diet. Well, on top of the diet, which can cause a disarray of your master clock, your circadian rhythm, estradiol 
is also a huge regulator of the circadian rhythm, sort of keeping all your organs working in the same time zone. You don't want like your pancreas working, you know, in Eastern time and your liver is working in Pacific time, you know, <laughs> so we don't want, we can't really have that, but that's what sort of happens when you have this circadian rhythm dysfunction. And to further exacerbate that is all the blue light, you know, the screens, the ambient light coming in and suppressing melatonin, which we now know melatonin is key to fertility and cycling properly and has receptors on the ovaries and is a master antioxidant and so on. So if you don't get adequate amounts of sleep in a very dark room, you're going to not have enough melatonin, your circadian rhythm is off. And all of this is in play in women with PCOS. And of course, in women who don't have PCOS, it's just sort of like fuel to the fire for women with PCOS to have the leaky gut, the dysbiotic gut microbiome, which often in a very high prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And the liver is a powerhouse, you know, of detoxification. And it's a, a factory of all different kinds of proteins. And it's like critically important. And when you have a malfunctioning liver, you often have a disarray of production of uh, glucose becomes dysregulated because the liver is a storehouse of, of you know, starch that is a precursor to glucose being released, and it makes glucose. We call it gluconeogenesis. You have that all dysregulated. The production of cholesterol becomes dysregulated, and fats, triglycerides. So you have, you know, this really huge array of dysmetabolic functions through the liver becoming abnormally functioning, which is linked to the gut having its own set of problems because they very much are talking to one another. So it's the, the gut and the diet and then the lack of adequate sleep and poor light exposure. Often people live in rooms all during the day at, at work where they have no light, no sunlight. So they don't get the bright light and they don't set their circadian clock. They don't have the right estrogen. So the circadian rhythm dysregulation combined with the appetite changes, dysregulation of the appetite, the poor diet, and the timing of food. You know, now we know it's not just what you eat, it's when you eat. So all of, you know, the constant grazing and eating late at night, all of these are actually contributing to the dysregulation of the menstrual cycles and the metabolic functions of women with PCOS. And these are clearly targets for our therapeutic approach. So that in sort of a nutshell is what's going on in the classic PCOS woman. Now, I, I love, well, I love the things that you're talking about though, because it is so empowering to know, you know, it's not a medication deficiency. It's not even supplements that are your long-term solution, although they can certainly help. Maybe we'll have the time to talk a bit about some of your favorites, but it's really the behaviors. And I tell my patients, these are simple, but not always easy behaviors to get in. But the nice thing is that once you get into a new pattern, it can be difficult to kind of break your lifestyle patterns. But once you get into a new pattern, it can be, you know, pretty easy to maintain that. And it can make such a powerful difference in how you feel. Well, it's amazing. Once you step away from eating processed food and you really eat real food, especially if you can go to a farmer's market and you get like right off the vine types of foods and fruits oh, yeah. and vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, just freshly picked, the flavors are so amazing that when you taste 
chemically laden food, it's like, how did I ever even eat this? It's like repulsive. I mean, trust me, I've been through it because, you know, in medical school, I learned nothing about any of what I'm telling you. I mean, I, it's like, and, but the thing is that was a long time ago, but you Mm -hmm. know, fast forward to medical school, uh, cause I talk to people coming out, they're not learning it either. So right. like some things just haven't changed in a, quite a few years here. Yeah. But um, so the reality is that I had to transition myself from eating and feeding my kids, you know, oh my gosh, when I think back on it, you no know, chemically laden food, because I didn't realize how toxic it was. Nobody told yeah. us. So I, but I've seen it and I've seen it in my patients that once you get away from it, like you said, you don't even ever want to go back to it. Right. Suddenly what seemed hard is easy. I think about this funny story of like one of my best friends from childhood and she's a gardener, like loves to grow her own food and flowers. And she married a guy who grew up in downtown LA. Mom worked like not a big, you know, connected to nature person. And, um, you know, when she started cooking for him, when they got married, he was like, I don't like vegetables, like any vegetables. I don't like them, but she would cook them anyway. Cause she loves them. And then he's like, what is this? And she's like, these are green beans. And he's like, these don't taste anything like the green beans. I had growing up because he'd always have canned vegetables. Oh, okay. And she's like, oh, this is like what it tastes like when you pick it from the ground and you cook it fresh and not like microwaved from a can. And that's not a good versus bad conversation. It's just that so many people are growing up with convenience foods as the norm. And it can be intimidating, but like you said, enlightening in a really wonderful way to taste what fresh food really tastes like. Well, I had a similar thing growing up. My, I don't know. I guess it was when bird's eye flash frozen food was coming out. And my mom would buy frozen spinach. I don't know if you've ever seen or tried it. It's like, I don't Mm -hmm. even know if it's still out there. It was like a little block. Like you could play with it if you hadn't, (laughs) it stayed frozen. A little block of this green blobby stuff. And, And then when I tasted fresh spinach, it's like, this has nothing to do with that green frozen blob <laughs> that I ate as a yeah. child. In know, my house, it was, it, was the, it was the frozen Brussels sprouts that I grew up oh. with. You know, and then you're right, frozen to fresh is a big difference with Brussels sprouts and spinach for sure. Yeah. Well, it's better than than canned in most cases, but it doesn't taste Absolutely. the same. I, I for especially that like mushy frozen spinach. So uh, go buy can, some fresh. I can get tell fresh. you. Definitely. And um, so. This, right, it opens the doors to really tremendous opportunity to help women with the conventional PCOS to improve because we we now know one of the things that happens when you have a lot of um, visceral fat, which is what happens in women with PCOS. So women with PCOS, we're still talking like the classical, not that there is a tremendous overlap, there is, but they have problems in burning fat. Because estradiol is key to the function of mitochondria. They're the energy producing little organelles, little structures in cells that create energy and they burn glucose, they burn fat. And women with PCOS, because they don't have the proper functioning and production levels of estradiol, the key estrogen, you end up having this mitochondrial dysfunction and also the glucose transport system, how you get glucose from in the blood into the cells and then into the mitochondria, all of that is malfunctioning in women with PCOS because that's also highly regulated by estradiol. Mm. Because estradiol is 
present throughout every organ system in the body. So I think of it as the hormonal glue that links the function of every organ system to every other organ system and maintaining everything humming along at an optimal capacity so that a woman who is pregnant, and first of all, maintaining fertility is obviously critical to survival of the of the species, and then having successful pregnancies requires massive amounts of energy. Like in the heart of a woman who's pregnant, she's pumping like twice the blood volume of a non-pregnant woman. So her heart has to be incredibly energetic. So her mitochondria have to be working amazingly well, which is sadly why many women now, it's like increasing heart failure, you know, what we call cardiomyopathy and heart failure related to pregnancy because they don't make energy properly in their heart or elsewhere. So when women can't make energy properly, there's a lot of consequences. In women with PCOS, even like they're not pregnant, what happens is they can't burn fat well. But the skill set to store and make fat is quite different than the skill set to burn fat. And estradiol directs where fat is deposited. Like in a female, like if you think of a set of twins who are, say, six years old, and they're fraternal twins, of course, it's a boy and a girl, and the mom is a little bit nutty, and she does everything the same for them, the same diet, even the same little unisex overalls, a little unisex haircut, you know, they even do the same piano lessons and the same everything, okay? But now, fast forward, they're both 20-year-olds, okay? They did everything the same, grew up in the same household. They're not going to look the same. You know, the estrogen that's produced by the female's ovaries is going to direct the fat to go to her hips and her butt and her breasts. And all that testosterone in the boy twin is going to create all, you know, the six pack and the muscles and everything else. They're going to be different. Okay. Hormones are destiny and estradiol directs where fat is going to be landing where it's deposited and the function of fat, because fat now we understand is also an endocrine organ. So the fat, the visceral fat of the woman with PCOS is having a lot of trouble. And so it's not making um, the right hormones. One of them is like leptin, which is also estradiol modulated or regulated, which controls appetite. So they often have like binge eating disorder and all of these things. But the thing that is so amazing is by altering the diet and altering you know, different forms of exercise and stress reduction, we can modify tremendously just through lifestyle. We can modify so many of these, these issues that women with PCOS are facing that they're, like you said, that self-blame game has got to end everybody out there. You know, this is, these are like, if you think of people who have like dyslexia or something of that sort. Well, that's a disability that people have to work harder to overcome. So PCOS without all this other stuff in play is actually an advantage. But even with what's going on, we can work really hard through lifestyle, sometimes medications. I'm an MD. I prescribe things when I have to, but just the foundational lifestyle changes can tremendously transform all of these malfunctions in women with PCOS. Yeah, I love the way that you talk about that. I mean, that our lifestyle can kind of transform what feels like a problem into something that's an advantage. And it really does come down to that woman really 
working on kind of connecting back to that ancestral form of PCOS, like you talked about, through those lifestyle factors. So you've talked about the importance of gut microbiome. I understand for some people that might require testing the microbiome, seeing what's there, working to improve it. And for others, maybe just lifestyle changes, you know, increasing fiber and the diversity and fermented foods. You've talked about avoiding toxins. You've talked about sleep, circadian rhythm, nutrition, anything else that we're missing on that kind of life foundational lifestyle. Oh, stress management. Right. And then they've done some data in terms of building more muscle because mm. muscle is what burns glucose and also high intent. Well, you know, don't start out with this, but you work towards high intensity interval training. There's actually quite a few published articles now on it being very beneficial for women with PCOS and like doing like detoxes because you want to upregulate, like checking some of your genetics like to see what your MTHFR status is and then adding methylated B12, folate, whatever you need, you know, and taking like targeted supplementation, watching your thyroid because thyroid mm -hmm. and Hashimoto's, you know, low thyroid, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is much more common in women with PCOS, probably related to the leaky gut and the what's how that whole thing is related to autoimmunity and, and so on. So working with all of these different lifestyle approaches. So you have fitness, exercise, toxin reduction, exposure, um, the proper diet, maximizing nutrition in and toxins out, um, working on stress, which is huge because they've actually done studies. Women with PCOS have a higher level of cortisol, even when they're not the adrenal part, just even the ovarian part, because they tend towards more stress um, reaction. They have some, the whole autonomic nervous system is modulated by estradiol. And so when you don't have proper autonomic nervous system, you tend to tend to be more what we call sympathetic instead of parasympathetic. Mm. You're more in the stress mode, which triggers more cortisol and cortisol creates even more insulin resistance, which we didn't really talk about, but insulin resistance and then diabetes, which is seven times more common by age 40 in women with PCOS is a, a big issue, insulin resistance. And a lot of that is increased by high cortisol levels and that is increased by stress so you can't underestimate the power of the mind and mind body medicine in mm. controlling the autonomic nervous system increasing what we call vagal tone reducing that cortisol output and increasing melatonin at night by getting good sleep by doing you know guided imageries or meditations all kinds of things to just calm your body down is amazing. There's actually been studies published. So acne is such a huge issue for women with PCOS. So there's actually, this is not like um, phony baloney. This is really documented that just a woman with really horrific acne went through a series of hypnosis sessions and completely cleared the acne. Don't underestimate how the immune system regulates the the whole system of inflammation and the microbiome of the skin and the gut and all of these functions can be so incredibly impacted through various mind-body techniques. And that can include acupuncture and, and hypnosis, 
and all forms of meditation, guided meditation, progressive relaxation. There's so many different types. You have to find what resonates and then stick with it. I love that you bring that up because, you know, it is easy to assume that, you know, meditation would clear your acne. Like I would say the average person and probably even the average physician would be like, yeah, right. That could never happen. (laughs) Right. But, you know, there are physiological mechanisms behind that, that reset really important regulatory systems, you know, and it's amazing to hear stories like that because I think it gets overlooked even amongst integrative medicine providers. Mm -hmm. I think that mind-body medicine is the last thing that most providers implement, partly because maybe we're not as exposed to it. We're not as comfortable making those recommendations or we don't do it ourselves. Yeah, but we don't have the training. But like yeah. even women figured this out themselves. They didn't have to take a course. They just because often women note that like a big event is coming up. It could be their wedding, you know, and they suddenly start getting little breakouts. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. their stress, their yep. stress, even happy stress, you know, yes. stress changes and suddenly you get a breakout. It's like, what? You know, like the prom night. I have a breakout. Like, what is this? You know? <laughs> I know. Why tonight? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so. Then, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, just to touch on the alternative modalities that you brought up so that they don't get lost in, you know, in the 80% that are the classic. So this is often not understood. So there's another hormone that's made by the pituitary called prolactin. And we don't always know why this is, to be honest. Um, But in some women, you have a higher production of prolactin. Sometimes it's from a little tumor that they call a microadenoma. Of course, it can be bigger than it's called a macroadenoma. And the macroadenomas sometimes have to be surgically treated. The microadenomas are treated medically these days, and they have some relatively newer drugs that, that work to lower prolactin. Well, it turns out that women who have high prolactin will virtually always end up having abnormal menstrual cycles. And if if you think of it, prolactin, which has many functions in the body, but one of the functions is it helps women to create milk so that they can breastfeed their babies after they have a baby. So when when a woman, after she delivers a baby, she starts making a lot more prolactin. And prolactin suppresses the production of luteinizing hormone, LH and FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. So the ovaries typically don't ovulate for many months after a woman has a baby if she keeps breastfeeding because mm. that keeps the prolactin going. So when what happens though when you have prolactin that's being produced abnormally? You didn't have a baby. You're not breastfeeding. Sometimes women will have what's called galacteria. They'll have like milk actually coming from their nipples. They're not feeding a baby. They're not even pregnant. They haven't been pregnant, but they have that because prolactin does that and their periods become irregular or sometimes stop altogether. But what's interesting is often those women will have high androgens. And it can be just like PCOS, just like the ovarian-based PCOS, because they have high androgens. Only where are those androgens coming from? They're coming from the adrenal gland, because it turns out, and we're just still learning all of this, prolactin has effects when it's high on the adrenal gland itself. Prolactin can directly stimulate 
the production of androgen. So they're like the male type hormones that come from the adrenal gland, which the vast majority do come from the DHEAS mm -hmm. is like the most prevalent of, you know, these hormones. And so, and that is a precursor to other androgens. They convert from one to the other to the other and can also convert into testosterone and then in skin and elsewhere can be converted to the more powerful version, dihydrotestosterone. So all of these can come from the adrenal gland and prolactin seems to have effect on the adrenal gland to directly stimulate and increase production of these androgens. And in addition, it has an indirect effect by blocking to some degree the enzymes that help to convert one form of the, the precursor type steroids that are made in the adrenal into cortisol, you know, the, mm. and, and other, because the adrenal is a factory of steroid hormone production. And they all start with like the master one, the pregnenolone, and then it goes down different pathways and it ends up into different final end products of steroids. And prolactin can interfere with these different enzymes, the enzymes that are involved in the conversion of one precursor steroid into the final. So you end up sort of having like, it goes from here and it's going down this, the mm -hmm. path and it can't make a turn. Uh-oh, that enzyme isn't working. It's not blocked right. completely. It's just lower Sluggish. production. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so, okay, not too much is going to go down there. It's like a traffic jam. So it goes to the next one. Can't make another left, another traffic jam. <laughs> so it keeps going, going, going down and ends up in the production of DHEAS, the androgen. Okay. So you have prolactin that's high. You end up with basically too much of this male type, the androgens being produced by the adrenal gland. Well, guess what? They have exactly the same effect on hirsutism androgenic alopecia, acne, and then the prolactin is totally messing with, you know, the periods and you end up in this hormonal dysregulation. And what ends up happening is you, of course, your ovaries are not producing estrogen properly. So you have an estradiol deficiency state, which leads into all the same kinds of problems mm -hmm. in so many different ways that totally mimic the other type of PCOS. That's why it's so important for every woman who has PCOS label to have her prolactin checked. I mean, that's mm -hmm. like standard, like 101 endocrine female, you know, types of, of, of uh, you know, procedure. And then in addition, uh, there's a thing, a condition called acquired or late onset adrenal hyperplasia, which is a situation where a different enzyme that's in the adrenal gland is not functioning optimally. And that's an enzyme that takes the precursor steroids down, down the pathway to make cortisol. And so the brain has receptors and sensors and says, I don't have enough cortisol. So it puts out the, uh, the pituitary hormone that tells the adrenal, the corticotropin, ACTH, adrenal corticotropin, to make more cortisol. Because cortisol is essential to life. It mm -hmm. has too much is not good. Too little is not good either. So the adrenal gland is being told by the brain through the pituitary, make more cortisol, but it is not doing it efficiently. So in the process, it's kind of like what happens in the ovaries where the brain is telling the ovaries, make more estradiol. So it makes more precursor, the testosterone, but you don't make enough estradiol. So you keep making more testosterone and it's sort of like a clog, you know, like a traffic right. jam right. kind of thing where it's blocked. 
And the same thing is happening in the adrenal gland. So the brain is telling the pituitary, I need more cortisol. So it puts out the hormone to tell the adrenal, but the adrenal doesn't make cortisol very efficiently. It does make it, but in the process, it ends up going down and making more, the, more of the DHAS too. because mm -hmm. the same hormone from the pituitary triggers both of them and the, the production of DHAS and cortisol, and you end up getting pushed down the wrong pathway once again, but through a different enzyme than the one that prolactin affects. So it's a different enzyme, but you end up with the same result. You mm -hmm. end up with too much DHAS. And so this so is this what is you hear problem. of as like the adrenal PCOS. Exactly. But these are okay. different entities. But here's where the tricky thing comes in. So in a healthy reproductive aged woman, where does testosterone even come from? So a lot of people think it's all from the, the ovaries. Well, that's not true at all. So out of circulating testosterone, 25% comes from the ovary. This is in a normal woman. Okay, 25% comes from the ovary. 25% comes from the adrenal gland. Where's the other 50% come from? It comes from adrenal androgen precursors being turned into testosterone pre in other tissues, predominantly in fat tissue. So when a woman has high testosterone, you have no idea where it's coming from. That's mm. why you have to like do a deep dive. Where is it coming from? But once you end up with too much testosterone, with so when you have too much of the androgens, you're going to also end up with too much testosterone because it's a precursor and it's converted in, in fat tissue into testosterone. So And once you have all this disarray and you have too much testosterone, it starts independently affecting the ovaries. So the ovaries are now in an abnormal environment, so they will also be impacted. And so when you have the problem that's stemming predominantly from acquired adrenal hyperplasia, ultimately it messes with the ovaries too. Mm. And after a while, it's really hard to distinguish between which came first, the ovarian problem or the adrenal. But if you have high DHAS, I can tell you it's always the adrenal came first because the ovaries don't cause the adrenal gland to make too much androgen. But the adrenal gland can then ultimately cause the ovaries to make too much because it's the whole system is being messed with. So, and then the gut is messed with and the brain receptors and the pituitary. So, but it started with the adrenal gland and okay. then the ovaries were like collateral damage in that scenario. We're so collaborative that one system always ends up affecting another. And it does, like it's really complicated. So, yeah, you know, I think for people that are listening right now, I mean, you would really understand that the physiology around PCOS is complex and it's really important to work with a healthcare provider who knows our stuff, really. Um, now, Dr. Gersh, you've talked a lot about the lifestyle factors. Are there any other considerations that you think would be helpful for listeners, you know, healthcare practitioners who might be learning an integrative approach to PCOS? What other things should they be looking into learning more about as far as how they can help their patients? Well, I think that number one, getting to what we always talk about in integrative functional medicine, the root cause. So I think that's really important that, like you just said a moment ago, you really have to not make assumptions when somebody mm. comes in with symptoms, getting back to it's a syndrome. So you have to find out where is this coming from? And then we didn't even like touch on like there are rare cases where you can have adrenal tumors that produce too much androgen. You can have ovarian tumors that produce too much androgen. So these are all things that have to be ruled out. So that's why 
you know, you can't just assume anything. Like you have high testosterone, you have all these symptoms. You can't assume anything. You have to do that rule out, rule out, rule out to make sure that you're treating it properly. Mm -hmm. Once you get through that, okay, and let's assume, you know, you have the the classic 80% of the population PCOS woman that's ovarian, then I think that you need to just take a deep breath. And if you're the provider, also take a deep breath because it can be overwhelming and start with the gut. I know we always talk about that. Just you can't like when you look at it, it's overwhelming. So mm-hmm. I say, you know, you, you, you can't expect any one person to change everything in their life all at once. I mean, occasionally you can, especially people who are trying to get pregnant. It's amazing. The motivation level there, what they'll do, you know, and that's like the most motivated group, but it's really hard. Like you said in the beginning, you know, how do you change everything? Uh, It's, it's not easy. It becomes easier once it becomes your new, new routine. So I say, start with the gut because now we know a hundred percent, all women with PCOS have an abnormal leaky gut and that affects their liver and that's going to affect all of these metabolic issues and it's going to make it hard for them to have the energy because you can say i want you to start exercising and it's like i'm depressed i have no energy you know mm-hmm. i'm like i'm nutrient deficient they don't yeah. say that but they are you know like like you don't have enough zinc you don't have enough magnesium you can go through the whole array and that's why i do love nutrient testing as well i don't know why that's not like standard in the conventional medical world it's like they just mm-hmm. get one or two it's like no you need to know the whole what, what's your nutrient status right. because you know it's not just what you eat it's how you digest and absorb it too and that's a problem women with pcos have high rates of irritable bowel syndrome because and SIBO because of all of you know the the motility of the gut is affected when you have dysbiosis, the wrong microbiome and wrong hormone levels, it affects the motility issues, which can lead to all these things. So start with the gut, change the diet into the whole foods, you know, plant based, you know, not, you don't have to, everyone doesn't have to become a vegan. I'm not even for long-term vegan, sometimes short-term, but not long-term. Cause it's amazing how if somebody becomes plant-based vegan, how their cholesterol really comes down, mm-hmm. which is an issue They're They're now talking about giving really, really young women, even teens to give them statins. I mean, this is not the solution. I just want, you know, there is a place for pharmaceuticals, but that's not it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you need to work with lifestyle. So start with the diet. I always say, start with nutrition. And then from there, you know, you add in everything else, like mind, body medicine, that's got to be early on the table to get working with, to work with stress. And even if you just take a walk, like just taking a brisk walk after meals can dramatically lower your glucose, your postprandial after eating glucose level, which is so important because when you have high glucose in your blood, you're going to have high insulin in your blood. Mm-hmm. And when your insulin is life saving, if you, in, in terms of like type one diabetics, they would die in the old days. They didn't have the ability to make insulin. So you need insulin, but like a lot of things, you need cortisol. You can't live without cortisol, but too much is, is a bad thing. So too much insulin or high insulin all the time. Insulin is the hormone that produces and stores fat. And we think we can multitask, but I can tell you, you can't burn fat and make fat at the same time. If you have high insulin, you're always making fat Mm. and storing fat. So you've got to get that blood sugar down. So you've got to really focus on not eating all the time, 
trying to eat more in the first half of the day because everything in the body is on a timer, on a clock. We have clock genes everywhere for everything. So everything is based on the time of day. We are diurnal, meaning that we are daytime high metabolism. Nighttime, we're supposed to be a totally different creature and resting and restoring and rejuvenating during the night and not digesting. Our digestive system should rest at night and it's most active in the first half of the day and our insulin works best. We're actually more insulin sensitive in the first half of the day. So by eating more of your food in the first half of the day, it's amazing how much better off you'll be. In fact, there was one Israeli study and it wasn't huge, but it was mind boggling. In this Israeli study of women with PCOS, they had them eat two thirds of all the food for the day in the morning and the other one third in the afternoon, like by around three o'clock. And that was it. But they had all their nutritional intake with those two meals, two thirds in the morning, one third around three o'clock in the afternoon. In no time flat, their testosterone level dropped by an unbelievable 52%. I mean, wow. not, they dropped their testosterone and they started ovulating. This is total lifestyle medicine. These are women with documented PCOS, ovarian PCOS, and they ovulated just by changing the time and the rhythm of their food intake. And what was also really interesting was their 17-hydroxyprogesterone dropped by about 40%. Now, that is a marker involved in the adrenal gland. So mm -hmm. it actually impacted how the adrenal gland was working. And that would actually be much better. So you would have lower production of DHAS and better normalized production of cortisol just by changing the time of day. I've never seen any other study actually showing that the time of the day that you ate actually really dramatically affected your adrenal gland, not just yeah, your- Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I know, it's fa fabulous. So and amazing this, to think that like you don't necessarily need prescription medicine to manage this if you're able to make such profound changes through these lifestyle changes. I know because there's such a big push now for the GLP-1 agonists. I mean, I yeah. can't like not even mention them like, you know, Wagovi <laughs> and, you know, Ozempic and Manjaro, which is a little bit more complex and new ones oh, come, coming down the pipeline. Like there's a whole array of new ones coming down. There'll be oral ones. And here's the problem with them. There's no exit strategy. Right. And that's yeah, and one big problem. And have these re re rebounding issues that are oh even my larger gosh. than they started with. That's right. So yeah. you can't get off. If you do, you'll probably be worse off. And now they're showing that it can cause gastroparesis or like the stomach becomes like paralyzed and they're not sure if it's ever reversible. And this is like a huge deal. And there are also other problems. A lot of people have mm -hmm. terrible nausea, you know, and it also um, pancreatitis can happen. And what I have found in patients who've been prescribed it by other doctors, but I'm seeing them is that it's really taken the joy out of eating. Like they have no, they almost get a food aversion. So did the idea that you would spend your whole life having a food aversion and not being able to sit down and enjoy food, that's like really depressing. It is. Me. I mean, when food we look is at a like, joy. When we look at centenarian cultures, food is a really important part of every single one of those cultures. And you know, yeah. it's no, none of those cultures have a diet culture overlay. None of them are trying to avoid food or, you know, 
take drugs with food or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're all enjoying it, you know, fresh foods with their family in a relaxed environment, eating slow versus on the go, probably just naturally tying their food intake with a circadian sun exposure timer, you know, but I think if anything, when we look at people who have longevity and live good quality of life, they're not on Ozempic, you know, they're, they're not, they're on, definitely, <laughs> they're not on these medications and, you know, they're able to manage through and, you know, eating in different environments. And you have to remember that drugs like Ozempic are mimics. So they're essentially like endocrine disruptors for mm. this little, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of a fine line between you know, what's a peptide and what's a hormone. It's sort of like the length of the amino acid chain. Right. So you could call like DLP-1 is sort of a blend of like hormone slash peptide. And it's made by specialized gut lining cells predominantly also in the brain. But uh, so, and like we have natural ways to trigger the production of GLP-1. We were meant to make it ourselves, not take a chemical mimic. Remember, they're not, you're not taking even the real thing. And mm -hmm. these peptides slash hormones are not produced in a constant amount. They're like out in pulses. They come at different times of the day, depending on your circadian rhythm and when you're eating. And what are some of the things that can increase through lifestyle GLP-1 naturally? Well, one of them is resistant starch, your food that is the food for your gut microbes. Mm. like like cold potatoes, you know, think, you know, green bananas, but even other things like legumes, you know, all the different starches that are sometimes, you know, villainized, they actually are the, the foods that feed your gut microbes that actually trigger your natural production of GLP-1 so that you act, and GLP-1 is involved in the production, proper production of insulin and appetite regulation, metabolic function, um, helps you burn fat, but you can trigger your own through dietary changes. Even exercise can help. And so like we have natural ways to make this little mm -hmm. magical hormone slash peptide. So we need to access that because I, can you imagine if you put like many women with PCOS, when they're diagnosed, they're around age 20. So you're going to go on this drug. And by the way, you can't be on it when you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant, really, because you, you don't want to be on it when you're pregnant and you can't take it when you have surgery. That's big warnings are coming out now because people are getting aspiration because their stomachs aren't, they can't clear out the stomach mm -hmm. before surgery. I mean, there's, and you know what, I've been around a long time. Every drug that's been a so-called blockbuster, I've lived to see the day when it got a black box warning, yeah, you know, or it got taken like off the market. Right. So I'm, I'm like, I hate These to say that I'm a little jaded. I'm a little yeah. jaded by, I would by say good I, pharma. Yeah. I mean, you don't hate to say it. I think that comes from experience, right? Of yeah. seeing it's like, you know, my mom always told me when I was a kid, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? <laughs> it's that old adage. Well, well, I love cliches. They're all true. That's one. They're of them. all true. You're right. Well, Dr. Gersh, this has been a really wisdom-packed hour, and I am so happy for our listeners. Whether you're a healthcare provider or you're a patient that's dealing with PCOS yourself, you have given us so many actionable steps that can be taken to really start to help our patients uh, work through this. And really, I love. Again, I'm going to kind of bring it back to that reframe that you started with, which is turn this thing that feels like a challenge 
um, that feels like something that you have to deal with, quote unquote, into to a new form where it can be something that's advantageous for you. So um, thank you again for spending time with us today. This has been really, really wonderful. Oh, it was my pleasure. And yes, there is so much you can do. You're empowered, ladies. Just that's take right. charge. Now, if you want to learn more from Dr. Gersh, she has a wealth of resources. She's written books on the subject. Is there a great place, Dr. Gersh, um, that we could maybe link in the show notes for people to get more information about your work? Well, if you go to my website, um, which is integrativemgi.com, because I've, I've uh, actually am in my office right now. I'm an old fashioned doctor. I see patients in person. I also do telemedicine. And uh, so you can do that. And on Amazon, I have my two PCOS books, PCOS SOS and PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track, which helps women to really optimize their fertility in a 12-week step-by-step program. And um, I'm on Instagram. I'm going to be doing a lot more. I'm hoping <laughs> be very much more active on my Instagram live. So that's Dr. Period Felice Gersh, Dr. Period Felice Gersh. So um, yeah, I'd love for people to follow me and because um, I'm really trying to help all the women that I can't always see in person as well. Wonderful. It's so clear you have just such a wealth of wisdom to share. So thanks again for joining us today. We are so glad you joined us today for this in-depth conversation. If you want to learn how Dutch testing can help you profoundly change your patients' lives, visit us at dutchtest.com providers. There, you can become a provider and gain access to exclusive hormone education, like our new Dutch interpretive guide and the Mastering Functional Hormones Testing Course, a self-paced online course designed to help you become a hormone expert. If you enjoy listening to the Dutch podcast, please help us spread the word by commenting and sharing the show on your favorite streaming app. Also, stay connected with us by following at Dutch Test on Instagram and Facebook, where you'll find even more news, education, and provider resources. Thank you again for joining us today. Come back next week for more.